0: So here we are in the book of Revelation. We're in the section of Pergamum. We need some more seats here. So if we can move into the middle, some folks need to get seats. We don't want them standing up all day. Uh, folks, just as a, an aside here, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm one who, I'm a history person. I like to watch history. I like to read history. Uh, when I went to college, that was my major, was history. And somebody said it was just because you then didn't have to do anything serious. Well, yeah, but I got to learn a lot. And I'm looking at the church today. I'm looking at the Christian church today. And this Christian church is very interesting that we have going on here today. Uh, we have in some quarters of the church, and I've, I've been around enough, where there is an um, easy believism. Uh, it didn 't matter what you believed, you just believed it and you 're okay you 're going to heaven that 's all you have to do it just you just believe that you 're a christian and you go to heaven i don't that 's not the gospel to me. We have some segments of the church that are now into what is called hyper grace in other words you 're forgiven for whatever you do all the time and and always, and you don 't even have to think about it. just give you one aside. Somebody from this church who I was counseling with went to another church in another part of the country. They got there to a pastor who I knew, and the, the man who had had trouble in his marriage and the woman, they said that to him. Said, he said, Why don't you get divorced? I, I'm, What? He says, Yeah, God's grace will cover it. God's grace will cover it. And I, I wait, Wait a minute. I'm reading the Bible, and it tells me that God hates divorce. So there's something wrong with the church when you have people like that in this hyper grace we have some segments of the church that uh, are going into just playing music and giving you 15 minutes maybe of some kind of an emotional message and that's about it they don't do much more than that friends you have some portions of the church giving the rainbow flag as much attention as they do the cross of Jesus Christ that's wrong they make that their umbrella rather than the atonement of Jesus Christ. There are so many heresies that are emanating from within the church today. It's difficult to keep up with them. That's why I'm so glad I'm here at this church. And my wife and I were just accounting how much time we've been here. Well, we've been here more than we haven't been here. (laughs) So it's a long time. And you know what? The one thing, there may be some decisions that are made around the church that, yeah, may not have agreed with, but the one thing that we can agree with is their stance upon the Word of God. And, and you should be grateful for that. Heresy is not going to have too much of a lifespan here at Grace Church. When it's heard, it's going to be dealt with. The one thing that these heresies have in common is a lack of biblical integrity. They don't go back to the scriptures. A matter of fact, they can't answer with the scriptures. I had a lady in my office many years ago who had this wild idea about Jesus, and I said, where is that in the Bible? She said, well, it's in this book I found. I don't care what book you found. I want to know what, and it can't be the book of Hezekiah in the Bible either. I want it to be scripture, show me, unable to. I said, you stop talking about it and stop teaching it? Um, And if you can't, then you need to leave Grace Church. That still goes on today, by the way. Just had an elders meeting. We just spoke about somebody that is going to be confronted that way because they're starting to teach um, wrong theology. That's not acceptable. Much of what is being produced today is emotionalism. Uh, if you have any view of the church out there, it 's a lot of emotional, but it 's not scriptural with scriptural support. And I am flabbergasted. Just want to be able to say that word. Do <laughs> you know you ever want to say something? I am flabbergasted twice. That men who should know better. Men that may even have been taught at this seminary that's here on this campus are going into the the practical categories or the categories of practical unbelief. When I start hearing those things, I, I, I was in John's office with another pastor, John wasn't there, and we're talking to this pastor by phone, he was not here, and telling him, What you're teaching is wrong, it's not biblical today that man is no longer in ministry because it wasn't biblical. You see, some folks no longer stand for the word of God. They no longer stand for the word of life. They have weakened at the temptation to be acceptable in evangelicalism. They want to be in the wider church. I'm so glad to be here. There's another theology that's come in to our church recently. That's been catapulted into the church, and it's called woke theology. That has impacted the church. Do you know those churches that did not meet are starting to close today? Because they don't have enough people in them. That's what's happening. You see some of these properties, they're, they're coming available because they didn't meet. That's a whole other story. What the apostle John wrote to these various churches here, most certainly he could never have imagined where the church would be today. Yet, the Spirit of God knew. The Holy Spirit knew as he impacted this writing. And I believe these are written, and I said this before, and this is the third church, that these are pictures of churches that we have in the world today. Whether it be here in the United States, but in the world, they're somewhere somewhere. These churches can be found. When you start to have false dogma coming out of the church, and that's what we have here, there there are churches today where that false dogma is coming out of. But let's start with a little background. Let's give you a little background to this church here in Asia Minor. The city of Pergamum is 60 miles north of Smyrna. And everybody has different, um, I don't know, maybe they they have different ways of measuring it, but some say 45, some say 55, some say 65, whatever. It's about 60 miles. If you're going to walk it, it's a pretty good walk. Uh, It sat on a cone-shaped hill, 1,000 feet in height. Pergamum was a tremendous city, but it was a tremendous city of religious cults. The Greek gods were worshipped there along with the Roman Emperor was worshipped there as well. There were all kinds of little and large areas of worship. And what I mean by that, you would have a temple where you could go and worship, and then you'd have these little uh, 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 cul-de-sacs, you know, where you could go, and you could be there, and there's only a little statue as was in India, and you have those kinds of things there. You know, they're not every corner, but there are a lot of corners where you can go and there'd be a place of worship. It could drop off your, your offering of uh, flowers or food or whatever it is, and and that was your worship for that day. But they're all over the uh, city, and that's what happened in the city of Pergamum on every street corner. As a matter of fact, the Greek name for Pergamum is citadel. Citadel. Pergamum is probably the best known Is probably best known for the altar of Zeus that is there, or was there. It's now in Berlin, Germany. Guess where I'm going to be this year? Berlin, Germany. I never asked to go see anything. I mean, I'm serious. I go there, teach, come home. But I've asked them, can you take me to see the Pergamum Museum? Because I want to see this altar where they used to worship Zeus It's actually one of the seven wonders of the world. So it should be pretty interesting. It's the largest altar ever put together. Pergamum was a city of education. Very, very educated people. Great learning, higher learning. That was worshipped. It's a library held about 200,000 volumes. It was also a medical center uh, with the worship of the medicine god. Uh, being worshipped. By the way, if you know the symbol that they use in medicine where they have the snake going up there, that was the worship of the medicine god. That's what it was for. Um, Escapolos. That's where we actually get the name for scalpel. It's the insignia of the snake on a pole, and that's the emblem of their worship. I, I found that very interesting. In 29 B.C., a temple was built and was dedicated to the emperor of Rome. Now remember, you're over here in Turkey, present-day Turkey, but this is being for Rome because Rome owned and had conquered all that land. As a matter of fact, it was the first and the chief seat of worship to the emperor. If, as a citizen, you did not pay homage at the temple, you were branded as disloyal. You had to go there. There was no question about it. It was not like with the vaccine, maybe, maybe not. No, you had to get it. Otherwise, you were killed, murdered. What an incredibly insecure place for Christians, uncertain place for believers, for sure. You had to bow down to the authorities. You had to bow down to the worship of Caesar or you could not get medical help for one thing. You could not rent or buy property. That was impossible. You could not trade goods. You could not do any kind of services. Frankly, you cannot exist in that kind of situation. Let's read the chapter or the section there for Pergamum. Revelation two twelve, And to the angel of the church... In Pergamum, right. The one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas. Why witness my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells? But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who... uh, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality so you also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans therefore repent or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with my sword of my mouth he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which is, which no one knows, but he who receives it. I know John MacArthur always gets the question, so what's the name on the stone? (laughs) And he says, it says you're not going to know. I I want to put that out there first, but folks, it is an incredible little portion of Scripture here. The writer of this letter has been kind enough to outline for us each of these messages the same way, and I'm going to use the same outline probably for all of them, at least up to the third um, uh, city that we're looking at. So we have seven characteristics here, or we have seven elements, whatever you want to call them, but there are seven of them of each of these letters. They are written as a commendation and a warning. They're, they're going to be found that they've done some good things. You know, that's like the mom who, who says to her son, you know, son, you did a good thing taking the garbage out, but you left it on the front lawn, you know? And, and she's, she, you know, he took it out at least, you know, but it's piling up on the front lawn. It, it's okay, he did good. Got it out of the house. (laughs) Now the rats are in the front lawn. Um, So that's the kind of thing. He's giving them a commendation, and then he's giving them a warning. So the first element here is the address to the angel of the church of Pergamum. We've gone through this before, but the first observation is that Jesus is here commanding. He's telling him, you must do this. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. I think it's a good idea if you take the garbage out. No, take the garbage out. That's what he's saying here. And he's uh, commanding John to write. Write to these people. Let me say, simply say this. The angel here, I do not believe, is a real angel. Just like my children aren't angels, and my grandchildren aren't angels. You know, they're not really angels. What is here is a messenger that identifies with the city. It's a person, a man. It's a messenger, but it's somebody who's very close to that particular church. So that's what we have here. All seven churches do this, uh, have that said to them. Um, the, the other thing to realize is that when Jesus is giving them this letter, he's condemning some and he's commending others, so they can't be angels. Because you don't, can't condemn an angel. They're, they're, either, they're, they're either his, God's, or they're the devil's. And uh, he's not going to be using Satan's uh, forces to take his letter to the church. This is a representative man, probably in leadership of these individual churches. Um, there's a separate man for each church as well. The grammar here tells us that. So when uh, John is sending them on the way with these letters, they have seven men go to Ephesus, then they have six men go to Um, Sardis then they have six men uh, Smyrna then they have six men go to or five men go to Pergamum so they they have one less each city they are there to read the letter they are there to give it to the church and they are there to warn the the church so we have seven different men and they're commissioned to go out and to take the letter and to drop it and to read it and to live it for the church what does Jesus say to his representative of Pergamum? The one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this. This is the second element. This is the attribute. And these are attributes of Jesus Christ. These are attributes that he holds. And what to it say? It says here that he has a sharp two-edged sword. We looked at that last time. Uh, uh, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword, a sharp two-edged sword. This is the word of the Lord, living Lord, this sharp two-edged sword. This is a self-description that Jesus gives us here. It is who he is. The city of Pergamum, or Pergamum City, whichever you want to call it, is a city of the imperial cult. And this is where you have to worship the emperor. You cannot get around this, folks. Everyone wanting to live at all and, and maybe wanting to live at peace, must worship the emperor. There's no question about it. The proconsul, who is the leader of the church or the city there, is given the right of the sword. Did you notice that? He's given the right of the sword. What does that mean for the proconsul? He can take that sword and kill anybody he wants, even if you're doing good. Even if you did worship the Emperor, he wouldn't do that, but he could do that. He can kill anyone he wants because he has the right of the sword. It's interesting that Jesus uses this attribute here that he has the two-edged sword to be able to fight against this kind of leader in the society. That means this leader can enforce capital punishment on any of the citizens at any time for any crime. That means he could take his sword, murder anyone because he doesn't have to follow the laws of the land because he is the law of the land. Jesus gets right in the face of this power and he says that he is the one who has the two-edged sword. But his two-edged sword is a two-edged sword of judgment. Of judgment. Everlasting judgment. All he can do is kill the body that meaning the proconsul, but Jesus can kill the body and the soul forever. The folks in this town clearly need to decide. Is it for the Christ that I am going to serve or the emperor that I follow? Could you imagine if that was done at Grace Church or you know, here in the San Fernando Valley or whatever valley you live in? Because everybody lives in the valley. Um, you know, if, if that was going out, and, and let's say that was given as a, uh, that the mayor of the city could do that and she could kill whoever she wanted to if you didn't worship Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Man, that's really hard for me to say that. <laughs> Folks, this is clearly you have to decide. You see, ultimately, Christ has the power over all of life and death. And if you're an earthbound person, you're going to be fearful of dying. If you're an earthbound person, you're going to be fearful of dying. You can't see past the things that are right in front of you to, to see what God is doing, that He has a plan, that He's doing something else. See, He is the one and He is the only sovereign. Don't turn there, but just listen to Psalm 115.3. It says this, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He's completely in charge. Completely in charge. For everything, folks. You say, but I've got this illness. Why is God doing this to me? He's doing it to grow you. God causes all things to be good to those who he loves. That's what he's doing. He's trying to make you into the person of God that you are not yet. That's what he's doing. Completely in charge. But friends, that is a decision you make every single day. Who's in charge of your life? What makes your decision? When I say what makes your decision, what are the, the motives and intents of the heart that make your decisions for you? How do you do that? Uh, Do you do it for the Lord or do you do it for self? And those are the kinds of things that we have all the time. We're either making decisions for ourselves, comfort, pleasure, whatever it is, or or we're going to do it for the Lord and and live for Him. You know what? The Lord is concerned even about those things. Even though they may not be, uh, whether you're going to worship the idol or the king or whatever, He still wonders, where are you? And he knows where you are, and that's why he puts it in front of you. Revelation 19.15 says this, From his mouth comes a two-edged sword, so that he may strike the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. You know, I read Hezekiah, about Hezekiah, just a few days ago, maybe it was weeks ago. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I can't imagine being Hezekiah the king And having 185,000 soldiers right outside my city, ready to slaughter my people. I mean, that's what they're wanting to do. And they're, they're making noises about taking over the city and what they're going to do to women, what they're going to do here and there, and all of that kind of stuff. And Hezekiah goes into his closet. I don't know if he really went into a closet, but he went and started praying. And he begged Yahweh, Can you take this away from me? Guess what Yahweh did? In the middle of the night, 185,000 soldiers were wiped out. It, it doesn't matter how big the force is against you. As long as you're on God's side, you have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. That's what he's trying to point out here with this He is the one with a two edged sword. He can take care of those challenges. There's nothing there that you have to be frightened of. One commentator, gave us a picture, and uh, I'd like to just relate that to you. He said this, Christians daily face the pressures of pagan society, and you do. If they refused to accept an invitation to attend, this he's talking about the people in Pergamum, and if they refused to uh, uh, accept an invitation to attend a feast in honor of a pagan deity, they would not only be shunned, but they would also lose their jobs and they would lose their businesses. God. I think that would have some of us hesitate if we knew we were going to lose all those things. That's the second element. The third element that we have here, the third characteristic that we find in this letter is the approbation It says in 2.13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So many, so many reasons to assume why Pergamon is said to be where Satan's throne is. We could go through all of them. I don't have time, but I just want you to know this city was a place of worship of many, multiple deities all over the place. But folks, it's no different in Sun Valley, California. It's no different anywhere. We have other deities. Now you say, but I I don't bow down to a deity. How do you spend your time? What do you spend your time on? What are you worried about? All of those kinds of things are deities. If you're afraid of, of being able to pay your rent, not that you shouldn't be make um, paying your rent, there's a reason because that becomes your deity. That becomes your God. You begin to bow down to that. And, and, and some folks, when they have that kind of situation go on in their life, they, they don't mind taking from somebody else. And I don't mean in a in a righteous way, but in an unrighteous way to be able to pay their rent. So it got all of those kinds of things going on. Not only is this a place of many different deities, you had the serpent god of healing that was there, and people came to worship him, and they bowed down to the staff and the slithering up to the top. It was a place of emperor worship as well. Caesar was begun to be worshipped there. In very trying times, the the Pergamites, let's call them Pergamites, held to the faith. Notice that. That's the commendation that they have there. The Lord Jesus recognizes that these people are in Satan's neighborhood. He recognizes that they did not deny the Lord. Even though they were in his neighborhood, even though they were challenged, they did not deny the Lord. Jesus recognizes even to a person, Antipas. Antipas is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. And of course, all the commentators try to figure out who is this. Um, Maybe this is a short name or a long name for somebody else. But you know what? They, They can't find anybody else in Scripture. But that word Antipas means against all. Could that mean that he represents all those who were willing to stand against the government against the proconsul, against being murdered, against being persecuted? It could be. It also means my witness because that's what he was. He was a martyr. He was a faithful witness even unto death. Folks, from among the church at Pergamum, a man is taken. And, and there are historical records of this kind of man who was taken but it's not biblical so we don't want to put all of our uh, um, worth uh, 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 what we believe behind it but listen to this in history there is this one man who was taken from the city of Pergamum. he was placed in a pot with water and they began to boil the water and all of the other Christians had to be around it watching And to the end, he still confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what was in the history books. The church witnessed this. They witnessed him remaining faithful through that. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a day where we get to do that. We get to see some of us pulled out from the crowd and and being tortured and and, um, hurt from the authorities. This is some... Something to note about the city. It's the beginning of the verse. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And notice how it ends, this particular section here. Then it ends with where Satan dwells. You have Satan on both ends of it. Said twice to make an emphasis, folks, on how corrupt and decadent the city was. Let me ask you, if a demon came into your presence, what would you do? How would you know it was a demon? First of all. How would you fight that demon? Well this morning I was reminded of a time years ago when somebody had this strange voice. I was talking to this person two or three different times over the telephone and then all of a sudden it, this, you can't have her, that kind of thing came out. And uh I don't know if it was a demon or not, but the hair in my back did. It started coming up. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. I guess I did. I went right to the book of John and I started reading the gospel. That's what you do. Make sure Jesus is in the section that you're reading so that they get to hear the word Jesus over and over and over and over again. That's what you do. But folks, you, the demons were there at that time they're coming back. We don't see a whole lot of them now. But I do believe you're going to be antagonized by them. So we have this um, description of this city that they say that uh, this is where Satan dwells and this is uh, his, his area that he hangs out in. Well, a few years ago, we may have said something about Las Vegas like that. That's Sin City, right? That's what we used to call Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Folks, is there any city that's not Sin City? I mean, poor Las Vegas. They don't have that name up to themselves anymore. I mean, you have Los Angeles. You know, I mean, that's what you have all over the place. There's pagan worship going on everywhere. That's what we have in America. It's sad. It's sad. And have you been around for any amount of time You've seen a change in your world. I remember growing up and my dad saying things were changing. But I don't think anybody could imagine the amount of change that we've seen over the last three, four, five, six years. Now here comes the approbation. Jesus says this, "...and you hold fast my word." In the middle of all the corruption in the middle of all that pagan worship, in the middle of all that is going on there, he says, you are holding fast to the Savior. Folks, that's what you have. If you have him, you hold fast to him. You don't let that temptation take over. You don't let that, that, that invitation uh, to go somewhere where you shouldn't go take over. This verb here means an intense holding. It's a grip, and you don't let it go. And it's a grip on the things of God, not on the things of the world. Things of the world are going to pass away. Things of God are not going to pass away. In the present tense, it means they continued to be faithful even under persecution. You know, i Read the story of Cory Tim Boom. You've read the story of Cory Timboom Boom more than likely. And to see how those people were treated and what they did. I, I, I remember reading the, the story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how he was put under pressure and how he continued to live for the Lord. That kind of pressure from ungodly people is coming. You see, the pressure in this culture must have been enormous, though. You can't even go to the store and buy anything unless you have your uh, vaccine card, so to speak. To just get the picture. You can't even go to the store and buy anything. That's what would happen if you didn't worship. And you know how they worship? I'm going to give you an idea. It was just a little bit of incense. And you had to do that in front of other people Uh, so that they could see that you've done it. Then you get okayed to go. And you know what? Some people would come into the church and say, it's not a bad thing. You just do a little bit of this. But you know, when they went to the temple to do that kind of worship, there was debauchery going on all around them. That's what they had in that kind of situation. Folks, here is a society that measures your loyalty by whether you worship the leadership of Rome or not. That is how they find out whether you are truly a follower of the authorities. The believers held fast. As it says here, and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you. There's persecution and there are still some who remain to the cause of Christ. Folks, I, I hate to say this, but if that came, not everyone would, unfortunately. I don't know who would and who wouldn't, and I know if you even asked me, I don't know. But some wouldn't. They would cave into that persecution. Friends, every day... This post-Christian culture we live in attacks our beliefs. Do you, did you notice any of that recently? I, I just heard one, I think it was a congresswoman, who said that adults should be with children. Yeah. I, I'd have to go and find that where I read it, but I'm going, you got to be kidding me. But that is not that far behind, folks. If you already have people going into libraries and doing what they do and the and the pastor's son is outside preaching and he gets arrested, but they let that other person in there with the children, they've got to be kidding me. That's what happens. Friends, every day it's getting worse and worse and worse. So do we give in or do we give up? I hope you don't. I hope to go to jail. Throw me in jail. Even in the midst of faithful, believing Christians, there are times when the unbeliever or when the Christian unawares comes into the flock and causes trouble. And that's what happens here. This is the admonition. This is the fourth characteristic. We see that in verses 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to accept acts of immorality and to commit acts of immorality, so you also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Folks, we don't have time. I'm looking at the time. We don't have time to go back to the book of Numbers. But if you want to this afternoon, go back there, Numbers 22, 25, between their... uh, between those two, three, four chapters, there's an incident there. Balak, the king of Moab, was intimidated by the Jewish nation. Um, He didn't like the Jewish nation, didn't want them around. So he invited Balaam to come, the prophet of Israel, to come and to curse the nation of Israel. Uh, He wanted them to just curse them so that they would go away. Balaam came and instead, he blessed the Jews. Because God wouldn't let him. Balaam was willing to curse them, though, as even a prophet, if it were not for the intervention of God. He would have done it. But even with God's intervention, the compromise of Balaam had effects upon the Hebrews. In Numbers 25, it tells us that the Hebrew nation began to compromise the daughters of Moab. They began to take up the daughters of Moab. In Numbers 31, uh, you can look at 16 and 17 and, and see where that came to fruition. The bottom line is that Balaam became the illustration for corrupt teachers. That was the point of the beginning of talking about corrupt teachers. These corrupt teachers begin to preach sinful ways, the compromise was insidious. And folks, that's what would happen in the church as well. While keeping the worship of the emperor out of the church, they would allow the teacher to compromise their thinking. What is being alluded to here in verses 14 and 15 is that there was some in a congregation willing to compromise with paganism, with idolatry, As did Balaam. He compromised. This is a very strong warning for the church today. Allowing false teachers into the evangelical church has ruined the name of evangelicalism. I don't even think Grace Church wants to be considered an evangelical church. It's been ruined by those false teachers. Let me give you another example. Um someone who says your body and your spirit are two separate things. That you can sin with your body as much as you want, but because you have the spirit separate, it doesn't affect. And that is a teaching that's out there. My goodness. My goodness. That would give us license to do whatever we wanted. Could you imagine showing up here on Sunday morning? I can't imagine that. It's a very strong warning to the church. When you compromise with the world, you begin to look like the world. You begin to talk like the world. You begin to believe like the world. You begin to act like the world. And you act like the pagan culture around you. Imagine a teacher putting a stumbling block before the church of immorality. Ah, it's fine. Don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. After you do it, just go ask God for forgiveness. Ah, that's taking it a little bit too far. The Nicolaitans, let's look at them, were basically saying the same thing. The Nicolaitans didn't last very long they encourage going to the pagan temple and giving homage to the emperor God and coming to the Christian assembly after. That's what you do. Just go there, pay homage to the emperor, and then come to the Christian assembly. In other words, you can do all the debauchery that's there at the, at the pagan uh, temple where they're uh, drinking and they're um, with prostitutes and all kinds of things, and then just come to the Baptist church. I, I don't think so. So you also have some who are the same as the Nicolaitans, the teaching that goes on there. They did not last. As a matter of fact, there is so little written about them. There is so little that has been kept about them. Very little is known specifically. Why, though, do I pick out that, or why does even John pick out that? Because it is the picture of compromise. That's what the church has done in some areas. Have you looked around and seen some of the church compromise and you get all kinds of other isms into the church? I taught that you can do the things in society, the things that were pagan, but you can still believe in God. You can still believe in Jesus Christ. Go ahead and worship the emperor. No, not a bad thing. It's okay. Go ahead and worship him. Do that once a year at least so that you can get your card checked off. Get your card punched, whatever it is that they did, and then go to your local Baptist church, or your local Bible church. Nothing to worry about. As you can see, the fidelity of the Word of God is lost when they allow false teachers into the flock. That's why the shepherds need to be diligent in keeping false teachers out of the assembly. It is absolutely incredibly important to do that. Church discipline needs to be part and parcel of a church. Way back in the old days when I was candidating at a church back in New York where I really did want to go. I mean, not too far from Yankee Stadium? Isn't that terrible? I mean, the, the corruption of the heart, isn't it? it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. But anyway, it was, it was up in Westchester County, which is beautiful and green and all of that. And as a matter of fact, the church was a log cabin church, had 300 people at one time, was down to about 110, and they were looking for a pastor. So I went back there in 1991 with my dear wife, and we took a look at this. Preached, and then sat down with the elders and were asked all kinds of questions. And this is what they said to me. I asked them, I said, have you ever done church discipline? Because if you're a church of 22 years, you must have done something like that. So I asked, have you ever done church discipline? And they said, we came close once. I said, wow, I'd like to know what that looked like. They said, well, there was this couple who was sitting on the front row, and they were living together, but they weren't married. And we thought we would talk to them at some point. Six months and they didn't talk to them. Folks, that couple left, never confronted in their sin, never know whether they're going to heaven, hell, or anywhere. I got to tell you, folks, when I heard that, I said, I can't come here. I said that to the committee. I can't come here. You can't do church this month. They said, well, we want to be loving. No, that was the most unloving thing that you could do. It's like letting a little baby run out on Roscoe Boulevard and say, well, they need their freedom. I mean, really, that's, that's what I see it as. Folks, you need to be able to confront bad thinking. That church is almost evaporated from what I understand. The fifth element is the admonishment. We see that in verse 16. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly. And I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. See, the sword of the mouth has come out again. He's going to use the word. He says, therefore, repent, or else. Uh, Wouldn't you listen? This is God Almighty. This is Jesus. You should be listening. That is something that must be dealt with immediately. As a matter of fact, it says, I am coming quickly. This is not the second coming, folks. This is not the one that we look forward to. No, this is, he is coming quickly, meaning he's coming in judgment. It's much like Hebrews 12 where there's discipline going on, but this is even more significant. I will make war against them with a sword of my mouth. It's not just a little thing. This is not some peace envoy coming there and trying to put things back together. The Pergamum church needed to repent. Not of being faithful, but of their laziness. Their laziness. Maybe their antinomian theology, I don't know. Maybe their fear of the authorities in some cases. They needed to put that away. They no longer tolerate evil. Evil should never get into the church, folks. It should never be tolerated. It should always be called out. This week I had to go back and look at a case I did a long, long time ago. And I'm going through it, and the sin that was there, that was confronted, that needed to be confronted. Then I get a letter from one of the counselees, and they said, neither of us are listening to you. should have stopped the counseling right there. Neither of us are listening to you. That was an indication that I needed to shut it down and do church discipline on them immediately. Churches of Revelation are told in no uncertain terms eight times to repent. By the way, I told them to repent over and over and over again. Eventually we did do church discipline, but it was when it was just at the end. Jesus is serious and will take issue with them. That's what's happening here. If you want to go easy on heresy, watch out. Christ will come and He'll come with His sword. The Nicolaitans, their followers, they will be chastised. If you are in opposition to Jesus Christ and the church, the one who ultimately is going to be the victor will come. The next element, the next uh, characteristic is the letter uh, is the appeal. This is in each of the letters. And a matter of fact, I am going to do a separate message. I've been dreaming about it and thinking about it and putting it together in my mind. A separate message just on this verse and how it has implications for all of Scripture. But this is what the verse says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's said to all the churches, folks, this too is a command. It's a command to listen. It's a command to listen. You don't come here on Sunday to get your ego boost up. You don't come here to feel better about yourself on Sunday. But whatever you hear, you should be doing something about it. And that's why you go home, at least I hope, on Sunday afternoon over lunch and say, so what did you hear? Okay, what do I need to learn? What do I need? To, how do I need to grow? That's have ears to listen. Because if you just go away and said, oh, that was a good message. You're going to forget at the moment you hit that door. What am I going to do to apply it to my life? And that's what, what Jesus is saying here. Even all of these churches they need to hear it, and they need to do something about it. The last characteristic of this letter is the affirmation. We see that in 17b. It says to, there in 17b, To him who overcomes, to him, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he receives it. Overcomers. In this context, they do not participate in emperor worship. They don't bow the knee to the emperor. They don't bow the knee to the government. Let's put it in those terms. We don't know about emperors, but we do know about government. They didn't bow the knee to the government. They said the church was essential, and they kept meeting. I have some friends who graduated from seminary who, in the beginning, never even shut down. They kept going in their churches. At first I used to call them criminals. But you know what? They were right. There was no reason to shut down. You didn't have to shut down. I'm sorry. That's my opinion. Overcomers. An overcomer is in harmony with the things of God. Yes, the church is essential. We need to hear the word of God. By the way, you're all invited to January 23rd, I think it is, uh, Grace Church, they're going to have that m- documentary, The Essential Church. Okay. I'm sorry, did I say January? July. January is going to be a little far away. July 23rd, I think it's 23rd, maybe it's 20th, whatever it is. But I'm inviting, I am paid all your tickets. No. I didn't pay all your tickets, but it's going to be for free here at Grace Church. What did they get? this affirmation for those who are overcomers. They got manna. What is manna? Manna is that special bread that was given in um, the Old Testament to the Jews as they're going through the um, uh, desert. And in Exodus chapter 16, uh, we hear about that manna. It didn't ding, ding, ding either. But... um, in Exodus chapter 16, it says this, "...the house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander, seed, white, and its taste was like uh, wafers with honey. Then Moses said, "...this is what the Lord has commanded, let an omer fill of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt." Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omerful of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And that's what happened. Kept it in the Ark of the Covenant, which unfortunately we don't have now. But do you know what? We have the bread of life today. John chapter 6. Given to us. John chapter 6, verse 48 John 6, 48. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. But in uh, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If one eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I will give For the life of the world world is my flesh. Jesus Christ is that bread. That is the reward. You have the manna given to you. The next reward is a white stone. There is no less than 10 different suggestions with what this white stone is. There's no less than 100 different names that they put on that white stone. I have no idea what that name is on that white stone. But this I do know, that in the days that he's writing this, there were events where you had to have a stone to get into an event. And that meant you had admission into the event. On that stone was your name. So that's what they did. They presented the stone as a, a, an admission to that particular event. That sounds like the same thing. You have the manna of, of Christ. Then you have the admission of this stone. And then what's the the next thing? Is the new name. The new name. Folks, when we are redeemed, when we are completed in heaven, we, we already belong to Christ, but there nothing can hurt us. Nothing can be against us. Friends, this is the third church that we've looked at and I rushed up the last part of this because time has ended. These churches are emblematic of the churches that we have today. Some of you are not going to be here at Grace Church next year, the year after, 10 years from now. You're going to move to another church. And this is what I tell every single person. Make sure you know what they teach. Make sure you know who the pastor is. I remember when my kids were moving, uh, 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 Melissa and Ben, I said, I know the pastor there. Why don't you have him over for dinner? He's in Arizona. I said, he's coming in for Shepherd's Conference. Have him over. Ask him questions. You want to know what kind of church you're going to. What are their plans for the future? How are they going to teach? What are they going to do about false teachers? All of those kinds of things. My kids are still there. They went to a church, I think, of about 80. There are up to 700. Then they've already planted another church of 125. And so that's what you do. You find somebody who's going to stay with the Word of God. You see what happens? Why is Grace Church crowded? Because this is where the Word of God is taught. That's why. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your truth. May that truth... Be that which impacts our hearts each and every day, each and every moment, each and every time, Lord, that we're challenged, that we know who you are and we're settled with who you are. I pray for these folks here, Lord, the faces that I see every week and and the hearts that I hear from, Lord. I pray that you would help them to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior and walk with you in holiness. We pray this in your name. Amen.